Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to another episode of Inside the Firm. This is the Monday Morning Coffee edition with Michael Bjarnes. Uh, he's an onco- has worked in oncology, neuroscience, and diagnostics. He's dedicated his career to improving patients' outcomes in healthcare. And along the way, he discovered his passion for mentorship and advising, striving to help individuals define success for themselves, take tangible steps towards achieving a happier, more balanced, and fulfilled life while achieving their career aspiration. He is the author of Redefining Success and my guest here. Welcome, Mike. How's it going? Thanks so much for having me, Alex. It's going well. How are you doing? Doing great. Doing great. So I'm going to take a cue from your book and ask you a question, and hopefully it will put you on the spot a little bit. Okay. What legacy do you hope to leave when your life is over? There you go. Going right for the jugular from the start. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> it's a, page 231. Um, I was doing, uh, you know, I was reviewing, I have all these book, you know, tabs and stuff and I opened yeah. it there. I was like, all right, that's a sign. I'm going for it. Perfect. No, I love that question. And frankly, I actually revisit this question every six months to make sure that I'm on, on the right path for that. So for me, legacy, you know, there's, there's a career component to that, right? I want to continue to improve patient outcomes, but the real legacy that I want to leave behind is the relationships that I hold with my friends and my family. I want to make sure that I'm making their lives better, that we have formed close connections and that, you know, when they think of me, they think of someone who was there for them, dependable, loyal friend. um, And we had some good times together. I, I think that's, that's all we can ask for in life. Very nice. I like that. And that kind of um, fits well in the thesis of of your book, Redefining Success. What prompted you to write this? So just like most of us in our 20s, right? Go-getters, you know, high achievers. We're trying to take over the world. You know, we all find our little niche industry and we want to run some company or we want to grow as quickly as possible. That's what exactly what I was doing in healthcare. So I was focusing on biotechnology. Uh, I was a scientist, but I knew that eventually I wanted to move over to the business side and, and really blend my business acumen with my scientific background. Notice in there, there was very little mention of, you know, living life outside of career. That, that was the point of my 20s, just trying to grow my career. And many of my decisions at that point in life were around career. Um, what ended up happening was along the way, my father got ill at an early age, uh, got diagnosed with cancer. Um, being that I had a scientific background, I was driving up from Washington, D.C. up to Philadelphia every three weeks to visit, to, to attend his oncology visits, radiation, chemotherapy, you name it. I was there trying to just lend support and and give some of that scientific background for him. Um, and it took a real toll, right? Working full time. I was getting married at the time, you know, uh, dealing with everything with my family, the first order effects with my dad, second order effects with the rest of the family. So uh, really took a toll. And unfortunately, my father ended up passing away uh, at the age of 62. Um, wasn't able to retire. You know, they had this grand plan with my mom to retire and, and leverage all of these decades of hard work to finally go travel and see the world and do these amazing things. And it was cut short. 
And so that really made me reflect and realize that I was designing my life the same way, right? Building and working extremely hard to work towards retirement. And that is no longer the paradigm that I view as as success, right? We need to live every day in a more balanced way. And so this realization really made me reflect, uh, hit the pause button on life, right? Reassess why I was doing the things that I was doing and look at life a little more holistically. And so I went on this book writing process, got to interview dozens of highly accomplished individuals who had the same realization at some point in their life that regardless of accomplishments, if you're not living this more holistic definition of success, happiness and fulfillment will remain elusive. And um, yeah, that, that plus the science of happiness, plus my own personal experience and, and the, uh, the stories of others is where this book came from. What's kind of interesting about this, I've had this thought I had this little germ of a thought back somewhere when I was in my 20s. After college, I was working out in uh, Montana, Kalispell. And, you know, you meet people, different people through life. And as you go through life, there's all these success books and things like that. And there's a lot of successful people who have companies and do all this stuff and, and climb the ladder corporate or otherwise or make their own business. And that seems to be the goal. And, and a lot of people a lot of people shit on people with normal jobs. Mm -hmm. Um, And the thought I had is I, I'm pretty sure this person wasn't like a a Pepsi rep person, but it was something like that, you know, just normal job doing normal stuff, but he had a boat, he had a garage couch. They had, you know what I mean? Like went over to their house, had beers and stuff like that. It's like, well, what if someone, I think a lot of people have figured out like, Hey, I, in this almost, I can do whatever job, just insert whatever job. And as long as I do that effectively and come home at five and take my kids to the baseball game, you know, and then go out boating on, you know, Saturday or Sunday or camping or something like that. Like that is more successful than mainstream media is giving it. Yeah, that's a that's a great insight, right? Like we all we all like to think of success in this lens of money, power, fame, and unless you're moving up, you're you've stagnated, you're no longer successful, and and I think that's far from the truth, right? We all have this point where you know, the, and the science shows this, where more is not necessarily better. Our greatest asset in life is time. And so if we can find that right balance of what's going to bring us fulfillment and, and what we enjoy doing on a day-to-day basis, but we also have that time to spend with our loved ones and, you know, be on the boat or take your kids to the baseball game. I, I think, you know, that that's the right balance for most people. Yeah. Well, one of the first things you laid out in the book too, was the difference between uh, hedonic and I'm going to get this pronunciation wrong. Uh, eudaimonia. Yeah. Is that how you say it? Or (laughs) which is Uh, the difference between pleasure and fulfillment? Yep. The two pieces of happiness, this goes all the way back to ancient Greece, Aristotle coming up with all these philosophical ideas of what happiness is. To your point, there's two points, there's two aspects to that, right? Hedonia, which is, you know, joy, the things that we think of as traditional happiness, right? Like things that bring smiles to our face in the more short term, but there's also that fulfillment, right? And it's these longer term goals, the eudonia, as I call it, um, it's, it's, you need the combination of both 
to feel happiness and focusing too heavily on one or the other, you're going to remain unbalanced and, and happiness will be fleeting. Yeah. And I think you brought up too, that there's a difference between a, a happy workaholic and an unhappy work, workaholic. Yeah. So great example there, right? So I uh, was fortunate, was able to be in a, in a very small room with, with Ariana Huffington and she shared a story of, she was, you know, massive. Like you think of success, Ariana Huffington's up there on that list of successful individuals. If you think of the traditional definition of success, right? Um, Huffington Post founder now has Thrive Global. Uh, but she was reflecting on the fact that one day she was in her New York City apartment. And next thing you know, she wakes up on the floor, blood everywhere, just in a pool of her own blood, has no idea what happened. And she had literally worked herself so hard that she had passed out and hit her head on the floor. And in reflecting, you know, she sees that she needed to make some adjustments to life. That said, for her, that balance that I'm talking about, and, and for everyone, that balance is different, right? For me, it's, it's I want to spend time with fan, friends, family. For that individual you talked about, they want to take that kid to the baseball game and spend time on that couch. But for her, even at the age of five, she remembers sending kids away from her five-year-old birthday party so that she could read and she could work, right? Work is just in her. That's what brings her joy and fulfillment. And so for her, that's alignment. And so there's this idea of being an engaged workaholic. And there's, you know, there's a fascinating research out of the University of Pennsylvania that differentiates the two. So we all know there's science around if you're a workaholic, terrible health ramifications. It takes a toll on your heart. It takes a toll on your health, your mental health, you name it, you're going to burn out. And in the end, terrible, terrible ramifications. Engage workaholics, they live and breathe and they're doing things that bring that fulfillment, that happiness, because it aligns with who they are. Right. And for Ariana Huffington, the fine balance there was despite winding up on the floor, she realized it's not that she didn't want to deprioritize work. It's just that she had to continue to prioritize work, but do it in a more mindful way. So for her, that meant sleeping eight hours, turning off, turning off her cell phone certain times of the day. Not to say she's still not ridiculously successful in that traditional definition of success. It just, she had to do it in a different way. Speaking of that, I have to find it quick. Um, yeah, do, 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 nope. Uh, 160. So uh, in 2018, the first uh, do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Perspective study across multiple social media platforms found limiting social media uses does have a direct and positive impact on subjective, subjective well-being over time, especially with respect to decreasing loneliness and depression. So I took a week. It might have been because of your book. I don't even know when because I was reading it on and off um, a week of no social media and no news. And my business partner was pissed because he took it seriously too, meaning like he wouldn't tell me about the news that was happening. And, you know, the past month, Elon Musk has been doing something cool every other day. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but from that break, like, and then I got into it. I, you know, then I went back into it and I noticed my world got noticeably worse. Yep. So it's like during the day I try, I do a little bit, but like I severely limit it. And it is, it is huge. And what's weird is that if you talk, if you went up to anyone in the street and said, Hey, did you know social media is bad for you? They say, yeah, of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> like everyone knows that. Right. 
are is anyone are most people doing anything about it no yeah no that's that's 100 percent true um i found that research fascinating as well you know what, what's interesting is you know there's this dichotomy right social media lets you stay close and engage and see what your friends are doing but everyone only only posts the best things of their lives right uh, a great example is a, a buddy of mine just traveled to europe had all these amazing pictures I asked him about the trip. I said, you know, I'm surprised you even came home. This looks, this looked like the most extravagant trip I've ever seen. He goes, yeah, I only posted the good stuff. Like parts of the trip were absolutely miserable. I couldn't wait to get home in the end. So the point of this is to say people, people like to compare themselves to other. There's actually science out there that says 11% of all of our thoughts on a daily basis are comparative in nature. 11%. So more than one in 10 of our thoughts, we're comparing ourselves to somebody else or something else. And so that's what social media lets you to do, except you know all your bad stuff and your good stuff, but you're only seeing everyone else's good stuff. And so, you know, in small increments, I think the study shit said something around 30 minutes was about that sweet spot for most folks. It's great. You get to connect, you get to, you know, have relationships, which are really important for our long-term health. Too much though. And all of a sudden we start to internalize, think that our lives are no longer as good as everyone else's. And it really takes a negative toll on our, on, on our well-being. Not only that too, it, um, the things that get engagement and the things that the algorithm pushes forward or literally your mind just stop on are the things that uh, emotionally arouse you in some way. And a lot of times it's in someone saying something semi-outrageous or, or, or an extreme version of, of what's happening. And it's not necessary. You know, like this conversation, I don't think we've said anything too, too extreme. Uh, <laughs> but I, I can't think of an example, but it, it's literally whatever take is going on in the news, you're getting the extreme viewpoints yeah. of that. Not just like, oh, whatever X happened um, seems bad. Someone should look into it or not that, like sometimes, you know, uh, floods and hurricanes happen or whatever. It, it also, just because this came to mind, it also has to be a world devastating event that you are now responsible for. And you are a terrible person unless you directly go clean up that mudslide yourself, you know? Yeah. Well, it's interesting to, to your point, people go to the extremes, right? Things are either white or black or yes or no. And that's the only, only way to view it. The world is filled with gray, right? Like everything is gray and there's pros and cons to any viewpoint, but that's not what gets the likes. That's not what's going to make someone turn their head and say, oh, wait, what? And so to your point, that's what's all over the news. That's what's all over social media. And the stuff that's in the gray often, you know, if someone tries to post it, just overlooked because it's not, it's not creating that visceral reaction of, of those that agree, just, you know, plant their flag. And those that firmly disagree are going to, go ahead and, and start commenting and, and creating a, a storm on the other end. So completely agree. And with the, with the worldwide nature of, of social media, whatever, there's things that you don't like guaranteed that's happening somewhere in the world right now. And it's happening multiple times. So then you transport all that that's happening in India or wherever, it doesn't even matter. And then all of a sudden it's right at your doorstep because it's in your screen and then you get upset about it. Yeah, the world is smaller today than it ever has been. Uh, yes. And, and it's at, at the touch of a, of a button, right? Our phones are always right next to us and always little pings and dings and you name it, you, you get to see it real time. Yep. Um, after kind of going through this book and, and 
and your life lessons with your dad. How, how is your day-to-day different now than it was, let's say, 10 years ago? So I'll, I'll share something very t- tactical and then something maybe more mindset. Um, so tactically, I've incorporated some of the practices that I highlight in my book every day. So one of those being meditation, right? So being in, in science, a scientist, I always thought meditation, you know, reserved for hippies, very religious, spiritual people, um, not for me. There's a ton of peer-reviewed journals out there and, and science that validates that meditation is actually really good for us, both physiologically and psychologically. And so I highlight some of those studies in the book. So I actually make time to meditate every day. And, you know, I've, I have my full-time job. I have this book with, this is my side hustle. Um, you know, we're all very, very, very busy. And so you need to just incorporate it into your day. And I've incorporated it so much that just like when I skip a workout at the gym, I can feel a difference, a tangible difference in my thinking, in the way that I react to things if I don't meditate. So that's one very tactical way. The other is uh, there's a piece of research in my book that talks about the happiness equation, right? So there's a, there's this fascinating study. They looked at uh, twins, fraternal and identical, and they tried to say, all right, well, where does happiness come from? And in the end, happiness is 50% genetic, not much you can do there, unfortunately. 10% are circumstances. So that's, you know, job, salary, house, car, you name it, all of the day-to-day that we tend to focus most of our time on trying to improve those aspects. That's 10% of happiness. 40% is mindsets. It's literally how we internalize everything that's occurring externally. And so another thing that I focus on is focusing on the good, right? Mindsets is about personal development, you know, me growing as an individual, not comparing myself to others, comparing myself to me, taking time to focus on the things that I'm grateful for. We literally have a gratitude box in my living room to write down the little victories that we have every single day. And then we review those from time to time to say, look at all the good that has happened. Because if I bet you, if you look back a month, six months, a year, and you try to recall all the good that happened, you're going to remember the very, very high highs, maybe some trips you took, maybe some occasion like a wedding or a birthday or something like that, and the low lows. It's very hard to remember the small victories. So this gratitude box is a way to capture all of those great things that happened to us on a day-to-day. And so that's where I've really found myself differing in the way that I view the world, the way that I view my own life is focusing on the good, focusing on how I can improve as an individual, celebrating others for what they're doing and, and not internalizing that as, well, why am I not doing that? Why is it that, why is that something they're, they're getting and I'm not? So those are some, some things that this book and this journey has really affected in my life. It's interesting too, because that puts it in perspective, especially going back to social media, is that we compare ourselves and it leads to a lot of unhappiness and, uh, we are literally equate like that's 10% of the equation that we're spending 90% of the effort on both mentally and, and during work. Um, could you go into detail for us for what is your specific meditation process? When do you start? How long is it? Um, what are you thinking of? How, yeah. Yeah. So I, I plan it in the morning. Uh, so every day I work, I wake up, work out, shower, get ready. And then what time I, do you wake up? I wake up between six and six 30. Okay. Day. And, and so then you work out first. 
workout first thing in the morning. Yeah. And so that's part of my ritual. There's actually a book uh, called The Miracle Morning. It talks about certain tactics you can you can implement right in the morning to make your days better. One thing that very successful, quote unquote, people do is work out, you know, think, meditate, journal. Um, there's all sorts of things that they do. Eat right, have a breakfast. Um, but to your question, after I get ready, before I, you know, plug in for the day for my, my job, I make time to meditate. I typically take 10 to 15 minutes. It depends on, you know, how close I'm cutting it to my first meeting or, you know, if I know I have a lot, a lot of things going on. But for me, I do unguided meditations. I have a mantra and I literally just sit in silence upright in a chair for 10 to 15 minutes in the morning as a way to kind of clear my head. The, the purpose of meditation is to take the focus off of yourself and the challenge is a lot of people, they try meditation once or twice and they realize my brain is a very noisy place. And I can tell you that it doesn't matter how long you meditate for in terms of years, that will always be the case. But what you, what you tend to notice is you notice that your brain is a noisy place. You notice the things that are on your mind and worrying you or the things that you tend to care about more percolate to the top. And yes, the idea is to clear that, clear that out and have a very, you know, peaceful meditation. And some days that might work for you and you, you might, you might have a very clear head and other days you have a lot on your mind and that's okay. But what I find is that by, by even setting aside this time to meditate, regardless of whether that meditation session is very noisy or very peaceful later on the day, I find that I'm able to focus better. I'm able to react to, you know, more stressful situations in a very calm way because my thoughts are clearer. I can very, I can individualize every thought and make sure that they don't blend together. And I can find ways to maintain calm, to understand my thoughts and share them outwardly in a clearer fashion. Awesome. Uh, one of the other things that you talk about is journaling. And I have a couple questions related to that. Um, because one thing is that journaling and writing can help you clear think more clearly. Uh, It's why uh, Jeff Bezos have people write memos instead of, you know, do PowerPoints. Um, So question is, do you journal? What do you find are the benefits of it? Question two is uh, just like meditation, journaling has sort of a negative connotation in the sense of when you say the word, and this is my opinion, but I think a lot of people think it, you think about a 15 year old girl journaling, you know, about, whatever they journal about. Is there another word for that? (laughs) Or are we just going to have to wait until like, it just becomes okay. Just like meditation. Yeah. So I was the same. I even call it out in in my book, right? When I thought of journaling and I started doing some research, it was a diary. It was giving a diary and that's clearly not the case. Um, What I find as being an effective journaling technique is I establish prompts around, so there's two forms of journaling that I, that I like. One is prompts around my life, right? These are very high level questions, things like what would my hundred year old self think about my last month of living? Things like, you know, when I die, what do I want people to think of me for? And, you know, it can be as high and, and impactful as that. And it can be something like, you know, what do I think happiness means to me? And there are these questions where, to your point, if you 
try to vocalize it, it's going to be really difficult. And as soon as you start writing it down, your, your thoughts tend to crystallize. The other form of journaling is when I'm thinking of a problem or I'm thinking of a tough situation, simply writing out my thoughts, and it's going to be almost stream of consciousness, is a way to see how, how I'm actually feeling and thinking. And, and it's a way to structure my thoughts around a given problem or a challenge or, or something that I'm going through. So there's a two forms of journaling, and, and I tend to oscillate between the two, uh, depending on you know, where I'm at in a given week, month, so on. Do you do that in the morning as well? I don't, I will admit, I need to get better at journaling. I typically do it a few times a week. Gotcha. And yeah. then is there any other term that we can remarket this as, or is it just, it is what it is? I mean, some people call it reflective writing. Um, you know, I, I, I haven't found a term that that wouldn't necessarily have that stigma to it. Um, it is very like, spiritual mindset driven, which, you know, is growing in popularity and, and people are understanding, you know, emotional and, and, and mental well-being as, as part of that well-being equation. But there's still some stigma to, to all the terms I've found. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Um is there any topic you want to dive into that we didn't cover or anything that you want to leave our audience with? Yeah. So um, I really love this piece of research. It's by Bruce Feiler. Uh, I called it, you know, my father passing was what I call affectionately an oh shit moment in my book, right? It's something that really knocks you on your butt, makes you think about why the heck you're making the decisions you're making. Uh, there's actually research to confirm that this is something that all of us will go through. So uh, definitely look up this this individual, Bruce Feiler. He has a book called Life is in the Transitions. He interviewed people across all 50 states, hundreds and hundreds of individuals, and he codified everything. So being the scientist that I am, love numbers, love seeing statistics, all that. Literally, he found that every 12 to 18 months, we go through something called a disruptor in life. Could be a fender bender. It could be a tough situation at work. It could be something relationship driven. We're actually pretty good at handling those disruptors in life. And, you know, it's just a little speed bump. We move along. However, all of us in life will go through three to five, what he calls life quakes, what I call oh shit moments in our lives. And these are moments that really affect you. And so much so that on average, it takes four to five years to recover. So all this to say, that unfortunately, these moments in life that really make you reflect are just a part of being a human being. And what I would encourage everyone to do is the purpose of the book was to encourage folks to not wait for one of these moments to strike, but instead think thoughtfully about how you've set up your life, how you think about success and how you think about having that more holistic vision of what you want your life to be because there's science and research that shows that if you're able to do that up front, when one of these moments strikes, you are more resilient, you're better able to cope with it. And while you're not going to be able to prevent the actual thing from happening, you will get through it faster and you'll wind up in a better place on the back end. Awesome. I, I love that concept. It's it speaks to uh, something that's very true and people should be aware of and, and should start to be prepared for. Um, how can people follow you, um, get it in contact? Where should they go? Um, yeah, leave us with that. Yeah, so 
Um, my website's a great source, um, michaelbiarnas.com, nice and simple. Uh, you can find my book on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, at my website. Uh, wherever you find books typically has my book. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, um, Twitter, you name it. I'm on social media, Michael Bjarnes. Uh, it's it's a unique last name. So the benefits of that is I, di- I didn't have to get too creative with my handles or anything. Yep. And it's spelled B-I-A-R-N-E-S. Um, so not too difficult either. Thank you for your time. I I appreciate it um, and look to talk to you again. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Alex. This was a lot of fun.